Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, most of which are heard on Upfront and the Talkies, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. I'm Richard Walensky. My guest is Ed Decker, the Artistic Director of New Conservatory Theater Center, has been the Artistic Director and the Founding Director since 1981. So a quick question. I noticed in the listing for the upcoming season, there's a very small theater, which is kind of a cabaret-ish theater. Is that not part of any new conservatory season now? The smaller theater that was formerly used as our cabaret space has now been dedicated to our arts education program. Our conservatory students use that space to do their performances for their classes as well as for the family matinee series that we do. The main uh, portion of the season plays out in the two theaters, the Decker Theater and the Walker Theater. I was looking through some of the material online at nctcsf.org, particularly at the um, mission statement. Now, it says queer and allied theater. How far do you ever stray from that if you find a really great play you can get? We retooled our mission statement about five years ago 30 years into the organization, we took a good, extensive look at you know, what we have been doing, who we are, and what we hope to do. And we really honed it in into the, the two areas that we believe we excel at, and that is arts education as well as queer and allied theater programming. And sometimes those things cross over, and sometimes they don't. As far as your queer and allied question and programming is concerned, I don't usually stray too far from our mission statement because that is our contract with our community. But, you know, for example, last season we produced other desert cities. There really aren't any gay characters ever visible on stage, but there is a suggestion that the missing brother in that story was possibly gay. And the whole conflict of the play kind of centers around what actually happened to that brother and the series of events that occurred after he departed. So in that sense, I guess that was a bigger stretch than normal for us. But, you know, I think the stories that we tell pretty much stay on target with our queer and allied community. And that conversation keeps expanding as the definition of queer continues to expand and more people engage in that conversation. Before we get on to the past season and the upcoming season, a few other questions about material that I found online about New Conservatory. You have a program called Youth Aware. It seems to have two parts, developing scripts and also sending theater on tour around the Bay Area, is that right? That's correct. The Youth Aware program is our arts education touring initiative that sees about 20,000 young people in schools K through 12 all around the Bay Area primarily. And the scripts in that program have been developed around HIV education, uh, anti-bullying, cyber and social media issues, issues that impact young people as they grow up. 
The other arm of that program is a new program called Identity Matters, which is a new residency program where we partner with schools and theaters and community centers around the Bay to create a a curriculum that looks at identity in all its many manifestations, primarily for adolescents, because as as you may remember that adolescence is a very turbulent time and there's a lot of things to figure out, becoming who you are and figuring out who you are among them. So this program is designed to sort of dig deeper into that particular topic. There's also classes now, new conservatory classes. You worked for a long time at ACT. Is the acting program you do, is that kind of similar to, I mean, the style of acting that ACT does? Well, I think the the classes that we offer, ACT offers, Berkeley Rep offers, many of the theaters around the Bay Area and across the country are really designed to do two things, and that is to uh, help young people develop life skills that, of course, is useful to no matter what it is they choose to do in their lives. And then also there's an arm of what we do that helps the young professional develop skills that are particular to performance or technical theater that they could use if they decide to go you know, down that particular career path. What about an older person who, who wants to get into acting? Is New Conservatory a place they would go, or should they look at uh, ACT or Berkeley Rep? I would look at ACT or Berkeley Rep. There was a time when we experimented with adult classes, and when we retooled our mission statement, as I said before, we looked around and and we saw that our our, um, colleagues were certainly filling that niche very, very well and that there wasn't really any need for us to be sort of rolling down that particular path. So we, again, we sort of refined our position to be really, really laser focused on the things that we uh, believe that we do best and that we can offer the the community that are distinct from, from others. At Decker, there's also the Emerging Artists Program, New Play Development, which has been going on since 2002. Uh, It looks like over the course of the past 14 years, there have been maybe five or six or seven that have actually been on, but I'm looking at this coming year, and there are three, three new plays. Yes, it's very exciting, Richard. Thank you for asking about the, those programs. The Emerging Artists Program began as a, a program to help local solo artists develop material and sort of launch them on their career paths. And we've worked with several folks in that program. But in the last few years, the program has tended more towards new play commissions. I believe that that's going to be the predominant focus going forward. And as you mentioned, in this particular season, we have, I believe we have three world premieres that are being developed at and or by New Conservatory Theater Center in conjunction with playwrights. So it seems as though that we're able to contribute uh, a great deal to the canon in the new plays mode down the sort of queer and allied avenue. Let's talk a little about that. Those plays, I noticed that a lot of companies are doing more new plays. They're developing world premieres. And I've asked different artistic directors why that's happening. So why do you think it is? 
for us, being the new conservatory, our mantra and our current strategic plan is keeping the new and new conservatory. Since we're 35 years old now as an institution, for us, new means fresh, innovative, challenging, championing new work, and looking for innovation in our field as it relates to our mission statement. So for us, the the new plays commission program really, really connects to that particular aim that we have. Are there other theater companies that focus in on uh, queer and allied theater that are doing the same thing, or are you pretty much alone? Not alone. There are various theaters across the country, and recently we joined the National New Plays Network, which is helping to connect us to theaters around the country that are developing and producing similar work, and hopefully at As our relationship at NNPN, National New Plays Network, continues to blossom, we'll be able to partner with uh, organizations around the country and and get involved in the rolling premiere program, which is to say one of the group theaters presents the world premiere and then theaters around the country follow with a second production or a third or a fourth production. It's very, very difficult for authors and playwrights to get a production beyond the world premiere. Everybody wants the world premiere. And I think nationally we're trying to change that dynamic. Second production, third production in different parts around the country is just as exciting as the world premiere. Those plays that you world premiered over the past... 12 years, have any of them gotten second or third? I would imagine so. I'm trying to sort of think off the top of my head which ones those might have been. I just can't give you that information right at this moment. The reason I asked is because in talking to people at The Magic or other places, a world premiere is nice, but you always need a second and possibly a third different directors, different actors, in order to refine the play and make it right. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. The world premiere is really just the beginning of the journey for a play, and most of the writers that we have worked with really learn so much from that first world premiere and long for the opportunity to incorporate that learning into the next you know, iteration of the script that would go on to the second or third production. For us, joining the National New Plays Network is really a step towards ensuring that at least getting closer to the likelihood that there would be a second or third you know, production. The fact that I couldn't name right off the top of my head what production went on next is a testament to that dilemma. So before any of these plays have their premiere at New Conservatory, they've already done a workshop? For us, the average gestation period from commission to premiere is about two years. It's a 24-month process. And during that process, there are a series of things that occur from developing the concept, uh, whether the writer has come to approach New Conservatory with an idea or I as artistic director have approached a, uh, a writer with a particular idea. So refining the concept and sort of getting to the story that we believe we would like to tell to then drafts of scripts to, you know, table reads, staged reads, workshops with actors, and then, you know, moving into production. Each play seems to require its own special sort of series of process-related events, depending on whether you're starting from 
absolute scratch or in some cases uh, plays find their way to me or I find my way to the to the play when there has already been some development of it or there's a draft script available that the writer has even without having a theater attached to it. If that happens, uh, are they coming to you? Are you finding them? This season, we have a new play that I'll be directing called Everything That's Beautiful by Elizabeth Gregory Wilder. That's an example of a play that found New Conservatory. Uh, there, um, I work with a lot of literary managers and agents across the country, and one of those agents had this play, and this playwright said, oh, I think this is a good piece for New Conservatory Theater Center. Reached out to me, shared an early draft of the play, I loved it, and I said, let's go. Let's finish the development on it. So it was, it was a, I would say, 30% there, and we needed to sort of continue the journey to develop it together. There are seven new shows in the upcoming season, uh, well, eight counting Casa Valentina, which just closed. Right, right. So when you're sticking on, at the end of it, three original plays, does that mean that You'd be putting those on anyway, or did it come about because nothing else was coming up to the surface and you went, well, we have these three plays, let's put them on now? Well, I'm happy to say that there is a lot of advanced planning that goes into selecting the season. So these three works that are programmed into the current season were planned for already a couple of years ago. For example, right now I'm already working well into 1919 as I look ahead towards seasons. Now I will say that there have been over the course of the best laid plans pieces that um, took a little bit longer to gestate. And you have to then sort of shift things around. But the aim for me of creating a season, Richard, is to really create a nice balance between sort of new and exciting new play commissions and, and world premieres, as well as being able to work with plays uh, like Casa Valentina that just closed, Harvey Fierstein's newest play. That should be at New Conservatory Theater Center as well. Right is one of the reasons they're toward the end of the season kind of like built in in case in case you need to change them there's a little bit of that factor involved in this particular case it's sort of one of them is going into our larger theater and the two others are going into our smaller black box theater for those it was just a matter of sort of positioning those in the season when those theaters would be available quickly want to talk about a couple of plays from the previous season, then we're going to move on to the new season. Sure. Other Desert Cities, how'd you manage to snag it because it was a big hit? Did you go, holy cow, we can get it? I love the playwright, John Robin Bates, and I just waited our turn when it came around that we would be able to have the opportunity to do it, and and, um, he was absolutely delighted to have us do the production. So, you know, sometimes you just have to wait a little bit, and then you get your turn. Is that what happened with On a Clear Day You Can See Forever? That's a very different story. That piece I saw, gosh, two, three, maybe it's even four seasons ago now on Broadway. The Broadway production was a very huge, uh, huge production of the revival of On a Clear Day You Can See Forever that starred Harry Connick Jr. 
It struggled, I think, under the weight of that huge production that it became. Liza Lerner, um, Alan J. Lerner's daughter, had the aim of actually bringing the show into off-Broadway um, because of the nature of, there's a real intimacy about this particular show. It's not one of those big, splashy Broadway musicals. It's a triangulated love story. And very different from the movie. And very different from the movie, that's true. And so um, when they brought it into Broadway, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And when there was a celebrity attached to it, it just got bigger and bigger still. When I saw it, I thought, wow, there's something really beautiful inside here. And I approached, uh, after seeing the show, I, I approached Liza and said, you know, I really see this, that, and the other thing in it and an intimacy in it. And I think it would be really great in, you know, at New Conservatory Theater Center. And she was... Um, very excited about what I saw in the in the piece because it was the same thing that she had imagined on its revival journey towards New York, and it sort of became something else. So we had a chance to do it. She participated, uh, came out, um, and joined us for the uh, production and uh, had a really, really great time. Well, in 1990, I interviewed Burton Lane, and let's say that he was not exactly thrilled by Alan J. Lerner's work on the show. It's interesting that Lerner's daughter, on some level, felt the same way. Yes, I think that Liza saw that the that the play could really, really speak to a contemporary audience. And so when they crafted the revival in this sort of reimagined way, they pulled not only from the original, they also edited from the original um, 60s musical, and then they also borrowed music from uh, Royal Wedding, which was another Lerner and Lane collaboration to sort of fill out the score. And uh, those were some really, really good choices. Ed Decker, the first show, which is open now, is Sons of the Prophet by Stephen Karam. Uh, was Roundabout Theater Pulitzer Prize winner directed by your associate artistic director, Ben Randall, about a Lebanese family? It's about a, an American Lebanese family in rural Pennsylvania, in the eastern part of Pennsylvania, if I've got this uh, correctly, in a part of the state that was a heavy industry. And industry has moved away. Sort of the main economic engine of the town has fallen apart. That's sort of the geographic background. The family story is one in which two gay brothers are also facing the challenges of keeping um, home and hearth together after an accident that ends up killing their father. A freak accident where a high school student, as a prank, puts out a deer decoy out onto the country road and dad runs into it. And all of a sudden, um, the two boys and their uncle, our very religious uncle, are now living together, and they have their own set of problems. The older gay son is dealing with some chronic health issues after being sort of a Star Trek runner, and um, the, the little brother has some of his own demons that he's dealing with. It's a story about trying to hold things together when things are deteriorating both physically and emotionally. 
Uh, New York Times Review said it's a very, very funny play. It is extremely funny. That's what's so exciting about this. It's this hilarious sort of heartbreaking drama all in one play. It's one of the most beautiful plays that I've run across, and I've actually wanted to produce it for many, many years. And when we were talking earlier about sort of timing and finding the slot in a season, it's just taken me this long to, to get a space for it. And you got lucky because no one else wanted to do it, people higher up in the food chain. Lucky for us, yes, the bigger regional theaters did take a pass on it. So, again, I waited my turn, and, you know, good things come to those who wait, I suppose. The second show is Avenue Q. This is what, the fourth? It's the fourth year. It's sort of become a holiday tradition at New Conservatory Theater Center. The first time, what, sold out? So you said, well, let's... Yeah, the first time it was very well sold, and then we thought, well, you know... Let's just try it again. And the second time it sold even more tickets. And the third time it sold even more than that. And here we are in round four and it's still going strong. ACT does Christmas Carol every Christmas. Yeah. And I know that every so often they try to revise and change and make it new so people can come back. Are you doing that with Q or is it pretty much the same production each year? There's a few tweaks and turns. This year we have actually two casts. We call them the orange cast and the purple cast because we have an expanded performance schedule. We now are playing Tuesday through Sundays during the holiday season. So to sort of make up for that expansion and to uh, create more work for actors, we split it up, split the run up. So each cast understudies for the other and also has their set performance schedule as well. The next play is Daniel's Husband by Michael McKeever. And that came out of Fort Lauderdale. How did you uncover that one? A lot of folks heard about this play that I know and just said, you got to read this play. And it turns out it was also represented by an agent that I've worked with in New York over the years. So between my colleagues saying, oh, this is such a beautiful play and perfect for NCTC and the agent submitting it to me, it just happened and we get a chance to do the West Coast premiere. It is, if I'm not mistaken, playing at the Penguin Theater in New York right now. And I believe that there is there is hope that it will have an off-Broadway transfer in the future. And it's about gay marriage. It's about gay marriage, but in a unique way in that the couple involved, one believes in marriage and the other doesn't. And a tragic event occurs that sets some unexpected things in motion between the couple before they've had a chance to get married. So it sort of looks at gay marriage through a, eh, from a different angle. Is that in the uh, black box then? Yes. And so that and Sons of the Prophet, why are those in the black box rather than the other stage? Well, I think with Sons of the Prophet, it could have been on the main stage because it's a larger cast play than Daniel's husband is. It's space. It's like what is, you know, available. With Sons of the Prophet, I thought, you know, I don't want to wait any longer. So Ben Randall, uh, the director of that production and our artistic associate and our design team figured out a very, very clever way for that experience to be designed in our black box theater. And likewise, Daniel's husband, it fits in the black box. It's a unit set. Um, What do you mean by unit set? Well, it's one environment. It's the home. Sons of the Prophet is a little bit more challenging in that it's several environments that have to be created. So of the two... If there were to be one that would have gone into our larger space, it would have been Sons of the Prophet. But we just didn't have the space. We were committed to other projects in the schedule for the larger theater. 
Leaving the Blues by Jewel Gomez. That's a world premiere, and it's about the public and private life of the blues singer Alberta Hunter. Have you found an older blues singer, African-American blues singer, to play the role? Desiree Rogers is going to play Alberta Hunter, and and the play spans her life from young to old. So Desiree's kind of in the middle. So that is going to work out brilliantly. This piece is the second commission that we've done with Jewel Gomez. The first was Waiting for Giovanni, which was about the life of James Baldwin, and in particular, the time in which he wrote Giovanni's Room. And this piece is the second in Jewel's trilogy, Words and Music, focusing on African-American artists. We don't know what the third one is going to be yet. (laughs) So it's a musical? It's a play with music, but it's not a musical. A mostly African-American cast? Yes. And that's going to be in the big theater? Yes. That is just about to go into rehearsal. What's the setup of it? It's a journey through the 20s all the way up through the 70s, focusing on the challenges of an African-American artist building and managing a career during a very, very difficult time in America. And she was a lesbian? Yes. Which makes it more difficult. Which makes it even more difficult. That, of course, was you know something that was hidden during her career. And the next show is Everything That's Beautiful, another world premiere. Elizabeth Gregory Wilder, you're directing that. It's about a family with a transgender eight-year-old? Yes, a family with a son named Morgan who identifies as a girl, and he's eight years old. And how far along is that right now? I mean, it's ready for... We are cast and been through several workshops. We start rehearsals right after the holidays. So we're in motion. You know, Elizabeth will be joining us when we get into rehearsal, and there'll be some tinkering along the way. But it's primarily um, ready to go. When you're talking about tinkering, I mean, I know that when I talk to other people about world premieres, sometimes the tinkering happens on a daily basis almost. It can It can. My aim with the two-year gestation period for commissions is to bring the play in as ready as possible to rehearsal because we don't have an unlimited amount of rehearsal time. It's usually four to six weeks maximum, and then you're into previews. So even though there are changes along the way, rarely are they, you know, entire scenes being rewritten. I'm not saying it, it hasn't happened and it won't happen. But it's something that is more the exception to the rule once we get into the rehearsal process. For everything that's beautiful, I I believe that all the work that we've done on it in advance will put it in good stead. But I also know that once you start putting things on their feet with actors, um, you take another look at the language. You know, is this is this uh, is this is the rhythm right? Is it does it sound natural? You take a look at sort of the trajectory of the storytelling, and is it you know is it making sense? is there enough tension or is there enough comedy if you know if that's the need and what happens when you add this light this sound those things are always in motion so you know it's fluid in that way do you have a longer preview period for the world premieres than you do or is it the same each time right now it's the same each time it's six previews before opening it's a great question that you ask because we've been thinking about i'm sure you see in in 
in New York where they, they do previews for weeks and weeks on end, and especially with new things before they allow the critics to come in. And I don't think we'll ever be able to do that because we simply can't afford it. But I do think a few more previews, you know, wouldn't hurt. I've talked to other colleagues when they're doing brand new plays, and they get one or two previews and then they're open. And I, I just can't even imagine how I would be able to do that. Ed Decker, Sordid Lives. I thought it's already been here, but you have it listed as the SF premiere. Uh, maybe it's just I saw the movie. I don't know. I'm sure you did see the movie, you and, and millions of other people, it seems. No, amazingly, Sordid Lives has not been produced in San Francisco. Del Shores and I are old friends, and I've I've done his other work. I directed his his last play, which is called uh, Yellow, and we did Southern Baptist Sissies at New Conservatory Theater Center, and we I just have never gotten to Sorted Lives, and I kept promising that I would, and so now I have. We're ready to go. And it's about a dysfunctional family. Another dysfunctional family. What about what's up with that, right? In Texas. So I guess even Dell would say sort of like a like a trailer trash kind of situation. It's a lot of fun. And it, it looks at the follies of our behavior, our addictions, the ridiculousness of racism and economic disparity. And he does it in such a fun, lighthearted way, using the sort of voice of the characters in Texas that he grew up with and around. Is the play very different from the film, or are they pretty much the same? They're pretty much the same, I'd have to say, Richie. You know, I'm I'm thinking because it's been a while since I've seen the the film. I've been so focused on the play. There's about to be a sequel to the original film that I know that Dell just wrapped up on, which uh, will probably be coming out just around the time that we do this revival. Coincidence that. And the final play of the season is another world premiere war play by J.C. Lee, inspired by the Iliad. What I found when I went online is there seems to be less information about this one than any of the others. This is the, uh, you had asked earlier about sort of placing things in the season. This one is a little bit more intentionally towards the end because we're continuing, we've been continuing our work on it. It's a contemporary telling of the relationship between Achilles and Patroclus that borrows heavily from the Iliad, but also stands on its own in a modern retelling um, of uh, sort of a relationship that takes place during uh, war games and conflict in surrounding towns. Ed Decker, you're directing everything that's beautiful. Are you directing any of the others? Not this year. I was meant to direct Sons of the Prophet, and I handed that over to our artistic associate, Ben, because as you saw when you were at the theater not too long ago, we were involved in a big renovation project. That was going to be my next question. Well, I figured you might be going there, <laughs> and I had underestimated just how big that renovation was and turned out to be. And, you know, it's like a huge production in and of itself, and there were so many details that our executive director and I and the contractors had to be involved in, and it coincided with the rehearsal period of of Sons of the Prophet, and I thought, you know, this just doesn't make any sense to spread myself so thin. I turned my attention more towards the, the renovation project, which which I think has turned out really well, and Ben turned his attention to Sons of the Prophet. You know, it's a, a gorgeous uh, space you have. It almost looks like it could be an art gallery. Thank you. We were we were going for, for 
you know, another piece of keeping the new and new conservatory and actually transforming our space and and setting it up to be um, a space that would allow for more engagement in and experiences in our lobby before you even make it into the theater. So uh, we'll be introducing a lot of different things in the lobby, um, you know, on down the road. Financially, how's New Conservatory doing these days? Well, you know, the bank accounts are there because we just finished a major capital. <laughs> They're emptier than they would normally be. You know, 35 years into this, we have um, figured out a, a, a way to keep the organization as strong and and stable as possible. It's a nonprofit arts organization, Richard, so there's always going to be the challenges at every turn to sort of um, navigate uh, that Um, We're always on the path to raise uh, more funds to pay our artisans more and to improve the quality of the work that we do on our stage and to serve more young people through our arts education program. So for any of us in the community that are running nonprofits, small, medium, and large, it is a formidable task. You ever get tired of the administrative and wish you could just say to hell with it and direct more plays, maybe direct a movie? Five years ago... Our strategic plan called for bringing in an executive director, which we did. And during the last five years, I have been blessed to hand over more and more of the business, the contracts, the budgets, the payroll, you know, the development and the fundraising, because we have a development director and a development manager that, that work with us now. So in building the organization, I've been able to make more room in my schedule to be an artistic director, hence the escalation in the new play development, because I've had time to draw my attention in that in that direction. When will the rolling world premiere start happening? Well, we are just releasing Everything That's Beautiful, which we will be doing in in March. We've just added it to the list of availability through the National New Plays Network. The challenge is that all of us artistic directors plan so far ahead. It's already a little bit late for Everything That's Beautiful. I think there will be other productions that come about as a result of National New Plays Network, but I'm not so sure that we are in time with this play to actually be an official rolling world premiere through them, because their rules are that the rolling premieres have to, you have to have three partners, the world premiere plus two others, and they have to occur within 12 months of the opening of the world premiere. And so since artistic directors plan so far ahead, I think it's late for everything that's beautiful. Is it still true that New York is the final home that you all strive for, or has that changed? Oh, you know, Richard, it's it's always exciting to think of a, of a play heading in that direction. I am excited about, personally, about Chicago and Minneapolis and Seattle and Los Angeles and San Diego. I think that, you know, there's so much wonderful work going on in all of these areas. Um, you know, the New York Times is sort of the still the sort of pinnacle, you know, and definitive sort of review that one would get. But I think even even that is changing a little bit, perhaps with all the social media and uh, the, the opportunities that people have to speak about work that that don't rely on, you know, just uh, printed media or big media. One final question, Ed Decker. One play this season, you're going to direct more. And I mentioned film. Any interest at all in that? 
I have some interest in, in that. I don't know if you remember several years ago, my husband and I wrote a play called Rites of Passage. It was about international human rights as told through the eyes of a young Hindu boy who lives on the island of Bali. And there has been some talk about um, a screenplay for that particular project. So yes, sure. Why not? You know, um, new adventures. I'm always up for new adventures. And next year, I assume you'll direct more than one play. Yes. For more information, you can go to nctcsf.org. Sons of the Prophet by Stephen Karam plays at New Conservatory Theater through December 18th.